that walk, that walk, that walk. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, rolling. This is Walk and Roll Live. This is Walk and Roll Live. A podcast dedicated to the disabled community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. Hello and welcome to Walk and Roll Live. I'm Doug Vincent with my buddy Eric Aguilar from the Aguilar Professional Training Studio. How you doing, Eric? What's up, guys? How you doing? Welcome to another hot day in sunny California. <laughs> you know, thank goodness it, they've been they've been uh, overestimating the heat, though. Have you noticed? I mean, they've been saying it's going to be like 105, 107, and it's kind of topped out at 100, so thank goodness. But did you get any rain? I got some rain yesterday, I think it was. Not quite yet, but it'd be really uh, bad if it rained. We did get a little bit of humid and somewhat overcast this past weekend, yep. but bear in mind, folks, that it's going to get hotter on the planet over time due to climate change. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, if you believe in that kind of thing. No, no, I do. I do. I do believe in climate change, whether it's man-made or not, but we won't get into that controversy or or whether man can have any power over doing anything about it. That's another thing. But let's not get into that. All right. Anything exciting happened in the last week since we talked last in your world? Other than uh, doing some house cleaning and working out during the day and trying to keep cool best I can, not a whole lot, really. So the typical, kind of the typical stuff, very nice. Yeah, same, same with me. I had a busy week last week, did a bunch of things. Uh, Lisa uh, Hayes, which was a guest a few episodes back, we went up. I had to get up early. Oh, la, la. I'm retired now. I don't, I don't like to get up at 5 a.m., but uh, it was for a good cause. We went in. Yeah, did a presentation for Rolling Start at a Kiwanis club. It was the um, uh, club. I always want to say Claremont. They have a wonderful club, but it was uh, Upland, Upland Kiwanis. A uh, bunch of great people and they uh, fed us breakfast. And, and Lisa did a wonderful presentation. She had a PowerPoint. And, you know, I'm on the board, you know, and I've been with them for closing in on 10 years. And I'm still amazed at all of the things that, that uh, we do and, and the people that we help and programs that we have and services and, and all that. If you ever get a chance, uh, rollingstart.com, check it out. If there's anybody uh, in your life that needs anything, you need anything, chances are, you know, we take care of it. I, I really kind of noticed as I was watching her presentation that there's so many organizations out there that do wonderful work, you know, the Arthritis Foundation and, you know, you can just go on and on. But we have services for all those different, you know, maladies or chronic illnesses or, you know, brain injuries, all those things. Tell me a little more about the Arthritis Foundation because that's something that could uh, that, that seems up my alley here because I, too, have arthritis in my right hip joint and in my right knee now. Well, uh, you know, I don't know if I can speak fluently on it, but there is resources on our page at walkandrolllive.com. And uh, you can check it out there. I, I did, I uh, was involved for a while, did some walks with the Arthritis Foundation. Um, and so there's a, a lot of good information. They're doing a lot of great work as well. So check them out there. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else uh, I did this past week that was of no, I, I, I think I told you all about my family reunion. I survived that. It went really, really well. Had a great time. Still kind of uh, basking in the afterglow of that a little bit. Um, you know, visited my granddaughter, which is always the highlight of my week and that kind of thing. So, uh, I had a great episode with Eric Eblen. Hopefully you had a chance to listen to that, uh, to our listeners. If you haven't go back, check it out. He was fun, right? Oh yeah. That's quite a, he's quite a guy. Let me tell you. Yeah. You know, and we may have to have him on again. Cause he's talking about getting together with some buddies of his and doing a podcast. So I, I told him we'll have a, have you on to tell us about your podcast and, and help you launch it. So, you know, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. So um, I had some uh, you know, challenges, let's say, uh, getting a guest on this week. And just because I think I dropped the ball a little bit and, and waited too long to start reaching out to people. And, uh, you know, people are, it's summertime. People are on vacation. There's, you know, all those different kind of factors played into it. So we couldn't have a guest uh, this week. But what I got to thinking is we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. So I thought we would uh, just kind of 
dip into that a little bit. The, the, there's a big celebration going on in D.C. right now. And uh, actually, Lisa is there. And hopefully we're going to get a chance to talk with her. But uh, we'll kind of explain what that's all about if you don't know what it's about. And uh, I recorded a uh, short history that I found on the Internet and uh, tell you about that when we come back. All right. Anything else before we go? The other thing we did this last weekend is um, we uh, went, we went shopping because every once in a while, my uh, mother-in-law to be comes on these great deals at uh, the big lots and the section that we went to. There's actually a Ross and a grocery outlet right next door. And those are some of my favorite uh, spots to go to when it comes to shopping. <laughs> Very nice. Did you go looking for something in particular or just kind of general shopping? She was telling me about this big case of coffee that was in the 82 pack. The uh, K-Cups that we use in the coffee machine, no more than 16 bucks for 82 of them. That's wow. the deal at the Big Lots. Wow. If you listen to this long enough, you know Eric loves his coffee. So you must have been in heaven. Oh, I was. I was falling <laughs> all over the place. I found other great things like uh, Pop Rock Candy, uh, Kool-Aid stuff for $4 each in a 30-pack. And I said, hey, what the hey, Get two of them. So now i got a 60-pack of uh, Pop Rock Candy. There was these really delicious uh, cherry limeades that go great with any meal, day, night, or afternoon, or evening for $4. And then there was this, um, some of my favorite candies. And then I looked at my fiance. I said, okay, get me out of the store before I go cuckoo birds. <laughs> uh, you got all the essentials. Only the bare essentials. Only the best. All right. We'll uh, be right back and we'll uh, kind of dip into what Section 504 is all about right after this. Don't go nowhere, folks. Aguiar Professional Training offers comprehensive organizational development and organizational effectiveness services for corporations, nonprofits, educational institutions, and individuals. What they do is improve work environments in key areas, such as performance management gaps, group interactions, morale and trust building, and team dynamics, to name just a few. Using a strength-based approach in conjunction with individual or group coaching, all of the strategies have produced significant results. APT also assists with managing change, improving work processes, training, and management of human capital. Learn more at agyarprofessionaltraining.com. A-G-U-I-A-R professionaltraining.com. Hello, folks. Welcome back. I'm your buddy, Eric Aguilar, and my partner, Doug Vincent. How you doing? We're coming to you from the Aguilar Professional Training Studio, uh, the lavish studio here uh, where we come to you with our podcast every week. Uh, today, uh, I mentioned just a moment ago that we we uh, weren't able to secure a guest, but we have many different possibilities. We'll get that uh, in in order. I think, it was a, I think it was a shortfall on my part to get somebody... Uh, 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 uh what's, what's the word i'm looking for eric help me out here um uh secured uh, or, or booked uh-huh that's it that's it yeah so i'll lay it all on the uh, the bookie department which i'm the head of <laughs> so today what we thought we would do is to pay a tribute to section 504 of the rehabilitation act it uh, happened in 1973 as we do this podcast thousands are gathering in washington dc to mark the 50th anniversary lisa hayes gal that we had on uh, the executive director of rolling start is back there now for some other meetings and hopefully she'll be able to uh, contact us and we'll be able to include a, a a kind of an update from her what's going on you know just a few minutes to give us the the fee the feeling and the flavor of what's happening in washington dc now although it, it passed in 1973 and uh, don't be shocked by this but politicians were trying to kind of water it down and weaken it probably for pressure from pressures they were getting in different ways. Uh, many disability rights organizations were not about to allow this to happen. Right. So they organized a sit in to put pressure on the leaders to keep the language that was originally written and not watered down. Uh, the sit ins were in local municipalities around the country, but they wanted national exposure. So 25 disabled protesters 
headed for D.C. to make their demands known. And I've, I, doing a little research on this, I saw actually a documentary about this, about the, the demonstrations and all of the challenges that they faced. You know, I mean, a, a sit-in for any length of time for anybody is challenging, right, Eric? But if you're, say you are in a wheelchair and you have special needs, you may even have some um, apparatus, medical apparatus that you need, can't be without. You have medications, you have, you know, a a stress may, uh, uh, um, you know, could exacerbate whatever your conditions are, all of those things. And they were literally in a federal building and they were like sleeping on the floor, uh, all of those things. Um, So they had all of those challenges. and. They, I'm trying to remember how many days they went. It was pretty significant, but they, they got support from uh, unions. Uh, they got a lot of different reports. Well, we've got a story that we're going to share with you. I uh, found this short history of, of 504, of Section 504, and uh, and I want to give full credit to the uh, Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. I found this on their website. It's a short history of the 504 sit-in by Kitty Cohn, and I believe she was there. So um, we're going to play this. I recorded it, so I wouldn't have to, you know, do it here um, with you. But uh, I did record it, and you'll you'll hear. I just read it verbatim, and so I'll be saying things like "I I" in it. But this is from Kitty Cohn. This is her experience. I just read it so that we can share it here as we celebrate uh, the 50th anniversary of Section 504. Now, the the law was passed in 73, and I believe the, so that we're uh, celebrating 50 years from that time, but these protests, I believe, went on in 1977. And this is when, over the course of those four years, politicians and all the special interests were trying to kind of weaken the real impact of what this was going to do for people. And you'll begin to understand as you listen to this piece from Kitty Cohn. In 1973, the first federal civil rights protection for people with disabilities, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, was signed into law. What Section 504 says is, no otherwise qualified handicapped individual in the United States shall solely on the basis of his handicap be excluded from the participation, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Essentially, it's uh, said no program receiving federal funds could discriminate against a person with a disability. Section 504 was based on the language of previous civil rights laws that protected women and minorities. It recognized that society has historically treated people with disabilities as second-class citizens based on deeply held fears and stereotypes that go way back. Those attitudes had translated into pity and persecution and later into policies that were based on paternalism. People with disabilities ourselves didn't think the issues we faced in our daily lives were the product of prejudice and discrimination. Disability had been defined by the medical model of rehabilitation, charity, and paternalism. If I thought about why I couldn't attend a university, now this is not me saying I, uh, this is the author Kitty Gong, I couldn't attend a university that was inaccessible. I wouldn't have said it was because I didn't walk my own personal problem. Before Section 504, Responsibility for the consequences of disability rested only on the shoulders of the person with a disability rather than being understood as a societal responsibility. Section 504 dramatically changed that societal and legal perception. Only with Section 504 was the role of discrimination finally legally acknowledged. Senator Hubert Humphrey, who had attempted in earlier years to pass civil rights legislation covering people with disabilities, said about Section 504, the time has come to firmly establish the right of disabled Americans 
to dignify and self-respect as equal and contributing members of society and end the virtual isolation of millions of children and adults. At that time, discrimination existed in education, employment, housing, transportation, access to public buildings and other facilities, access to equal medical care, and in many other areas. So after the law was passed, in order for it to become effective, regulations had to be issued defining who was a disabled person, what did otherwise qualified mean, what constituted discrimination and non-discrimination in the context of disability, etc. Enforcement timelines had to be developed as well as an administrative enforcement mechanism. The regulations would provide a consistent, coherent interpretation of 504's legal intent rather than leaving it up to any judge who heard a 504 case to interpret what the law meant. There were contradictory rulings being handed down by courts. There was one case involving the right of a wheelchair user to use the public buses in which the decision was that if a driver stopped and opened the doors, that that constituted non-discrimination. Another case acknowledged that steps prevented a wheelchair user from boarding. These cases illustrated the need to define non-discrimination and also to define differences as well as the similarities with race and gender discrimination. The Department of Health, Education, Welfare, HEW, was the lead agency and their regulations would become the guidelines for all the other federal agencies, Department of Transportation, HUD, etc. It was crucial that the regulations be strong because ultimately 504 would never or rather would cover every area that received federal financial assistance. Between 1973 and 1977, no regulations were issued. During that period, strong regulations were drafted by attorneys in the Office for Civil Rights, sent to the Secretary of HEW with a recommendation to publish them in proposed form in the Federal Register for public comment. By this time, opposition was developing on the part of covered entities, hospitals, universities, state and county governments, and the regulations were not published. There was much delay. The disability community filed a lawsuit in federal court. The judge ruled that they must be issued, but not when. HEW went uh, or sent the regulations to Congress, which was totally unusual, and Congress sent them back. HEW published an intent to to propose regulations in the Federal Register. There were a few actions taken by the disability community, and finally, HEW printed the proposed regs. There was extensive public comment, and a final compromise set of regs was waiting on HEW Secretary Califano's desk when Carter administration came into office. During this time, the American Coalition of Citizens with Disabilities, ACCD, a national cross-disability was formed. ACCD became deeply involved in leading the effort to get regulations out. Once the Carter administration was in office, instead of signing the regulation, HEW set up a task force with no representation from the disability community to study, quote-unquote, them. It became clear through delays and leaks from inside that the regulations were being seriously weakened in coverage, enforcement, and the whole integration mandate. There was a list of issues that included consortia. This would have meant that all the universities in a locale could form a consortium and thereby offer a full curriculum. Attending classes at a variety of universities would be absurd for a non-disabled person but for a person with a disability, it was absurd and patently unequal. The list of issues also included whether alcoholics and drug addicts were to be covered by the regulations. A case that occurred later concerned whether a coach who was a recovering alcoholic could be fired, although he had been sober for years. The list started out a short. Uh, the list started out short and grew to be about 20 issues. 
Although most of the leadership of ACCD supported the Democrats, they understood that even as they were being told that the changes were cosmetic, the changes in uh, uh, the changes were so profound that would put us in direct confrontation with the administration. ACCD, realizing our civil rights protection were being gutted, demanded HEW issue the regulations unchanged by April 4th or action would occur. They called for sit-ins at eight HEW regional headquarters April 5th of Uh, April 5th, if HEW didn't comply. I think this was brilliant because rather than waiting until watered-down regulations were issued publicly and then responding issue by issue, this meant the government would have to respond to uh, to the demonstrators. Additionally, it was not that easy to organize people, particularly people with physical disabilities. In those days, due to lack of transit, support services, and so on, A sit-in meant people would go and stay until the issue was resolved, definitely. The San Francisco Federal Building sit-in, the only one that uh, endured, lasted 26 days and was critical in forcing the signing of the regulations almost unchanged. It began with a rally outside the Federal Building, then we marched inside, where between 1 and 200 people would remain until the end. The composition of the sit-in represented the spectrum of the disability community with participation from people with a wide variety of disabilities from different racial, social, and economic backgrounds and ages from adults to kids with disabilities and their parents. We all felt that we were acting on behalf of hundreds of thousands of people who were not able to participate, people all over the country who were institutionalized or stuck in other dependency situations. In the Bay Area, a broad cross-disability coalition, the Emerging 504 Coalition, began building for a rally on April 5th, knowing we'd sit in the after... uh, knowing we'd sit in afterwards. There we go. We set up committees to take on different tasks, such as rally speakers, media, fundraising, medics, monitors, publicity, and outreach. The outreach committee was very successful, garnering broad community support from churches, unions, civil rights organizations, gay groups, elected politicians, radical parties, and others. The work of that committee provided to be, or rather proved to be, invaluable once we were inside the building. Those organizations built support rallies outside the building and the breadth of the support made it more difficult to move against us. The International Association of Machinists facilitated our sending a delegation to Washington. Politicians sent mattresses and a shower hose to attach to the sink. Glide Memorial Church and the Black Panther Party sent many delicious meals that nourished us between days of coffee and donuts. The other committees also continued inside the building. The media committee met regularly to review the coverage and discuss how to make our purpose more clear, how to use the press to get popular issues across. It directed reporters to appropriate spokespeople, or rather to the appropriate spokespeople, called news conferences and so on. The committees had a great deal of work to do and kept many people involved. This was good because the conditions were physically grueling sleeping sometimes three or four hours a night on the floor, and everyone was under stress about their families, jobs, our health, the fact that we were all filthy, and so on. All the participants met daily to make tactical decisions. These were flowing, creative meetings, but they often went on for hours, which meant very little sleep, but they were important in developing consensus and arriving at a course of action. Some of the issues taken up in the mass meetings were what to do if we were arrested, a hunger strike in sympathy with the Washington demonstrators who had been starved out, which we decided would be voluntary, how to deal with the bomb scare, the decision to have congressional hearings in the building on HEW's list of proposed changes, who would speak at the hearing, who would speak at the rallies outside, 
the decision to send a contingent from the building to Washington, D.C., a progress, or rather a process, for choosing the 12 or so people who would go. At every moment, we felt, uh, we felt ourselves the descendants of the civil rights movement of the 60s. We learned about sit-ins from the civil rights movement. We sang freedom songs to keep up morale and consciously show the connection between the two movements. We always drew the parallels. About public transportation, we said we can't even get on the back of the bus. A high point was Julian Bond's visit to the building. A congressional hearing was held in the building that was extremely dramatic. The testimony of Judy Hoyman, Ed Roberts, Debbie Kaplan, Phil Newmark, and others was so compelling that the representative from HEW got up and locked himself in an office. Congressman Phil Burton leapt up and ran after him and kicked on the door, insisting he come out. After about two weeks, a contingent was chosen to go to Washington to lend the moral authority and the leadership of the sit-in to the efforts there to pressure the administration. We really wanted to break open the East Coast press, and we wanted some more demonstrations that would mobilize people, and we were striving to get a meeting at the White House. The Machinist Union, the IAM, rented a large U-Haul truck with a lift on the back, and all the demonstrators who were wheelchair riders were transported in that vehicle. They held a large reception for us at their international headquarters, and after we had eaten, we were asked to speak, and I believe we all sang, We Shall Overcome. An international vice president became very involved in assisting us in anything we needed. They allowed us to use their union headquarters to organize demonstrations, so we had access to telephone lines, copy machines, and other things necessary for organizing. One of the first uh, first things was hold uh, meetings in the Capitol with Senators Alan Cranston and Harrison Williams. Senator Cranston was one of the original sponsors of the legislation. Up until we met with him, we had been supporting the administration position. Cranston, at that time probably the most important man in Congress, raised the administration's objections to the unchanged, quote-unquote, 504 regulations, one by one. Each objection was answered by a different member of our delegation and answered very thoroughly. It was a testament to the group's self-confidence and total understanding of the contested issues that that issue by issue, Cranston was turned around in front of national TV cameras and other media. We were all extremely tired and sleep-deprived, and yet everyone managed to marshal their wits to carry out this extremely important political discussion. Frank Bowe, who was the director of ACCD, a deaf man, spoke last. He made such eloquent remarks in which he said, Senator, we are not even second-class citizens. We are third-class citizens that we all began to cry. An important tactic when we got to Washington was challenging Carter on having an open-door administration. Each administration defines itself by a slogan, such as the Great Society. The Carter administration presented itself as accessible to people, and they called it the Open Door Administration. So we demonstrated wherever Carter and Califano went, forcing them to go out black doors. At Carter's church, when Califano spoke to the press club, holding vigils and prayers outside of Califano's home was all about getting East Coast coverage, and that was important in getting us a meeting at the White House. The sit-in and contingent it sent to Washington were pivotal in getting strong 504 regulations signed that embodied concepts of equality and integration and the affirmative steps that must be taken to achieve that for people with disabilities. 504 was never enforced as it should be. The Department of Transportation 504 regulations, which called for reasonable phased-in measures to, uh, to make public transportation accessible, turned into a bitter fight between the American Public Transit Association and the disability community and were overturned by the federal court in 1980. Those measures became part of the ADA 10 years later. The HEW Section 504 regulations 
established the basic operational principles that became the basis for legal compliance with the ADA. Non-discrimination is the fundamental right established by 504. Discrimination can occur through exclusionary practices as well as an inaccessible environment. Affirmative conduct may be required to remove architectural or communication barriers or to provide reasonable accommodations. People with disabilities experience discrimination as a class, irrespective of diagnosis. 504 established the three-pronged legal definition of disability as opposed to a medical one. The definition includes people with physical or mental impairments that substantially limit one or more major life activity. Those who have a record of such an impairment and those who are regarded as having such an an impairment. Uh, Another 504 principle that is particular to disability civil rights is the balancing of the individual's right to be free from discrimination with the cost to society to effect a remedy. It established the right of an individual who has experienced discrimination to pursue an administrative remedy with the appropriate federal agency as well as to go to court. Even though 504 wasn't strongly enforced, the sit-in was of historic importance. For the first time, we had a concrete federal civil rights protection. We had shown ourselves and the country through network TV that we, the most hidden, impoverished, pitied group of people in the nation, were capable of waging a deadly, serious struggle that brought about profound social change. The sit-in was a truly transforming experience, the likes of which most of us has never seen before or ever saw again. Those of us with disabilities were imbued with a new sense of pride, strength, community, and confidence. For the first time, many of us felt proud of who we were, and we understood that our isolation and segregation stemmed from societal policy, not from some personal defects on our part and our experiences experiences with segregation and discrimination were not just our own personal problems. Without 504, its coverage and example and the disability civil rights principles contained in the regulations we fought so hard for and the empowerment of tens of thousands of disability activists through 504 trainings and activities and mobilizations, there might well be no Americans with Disabilities Act that finally brought us up to parity with federal civil rights laws covering gender and race. So that's Kitty Cohn's story uh, from a few years ago, but it's posted on the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund website. So you get a better idea. That's the short story. So you you can imagine there's much more intricacy uh, to it, but but you kind of get an idea of what was going on, the support they got and how they finally were. There was a scene in that documentary that I, um, that I watched it. There was a young child that they, young, I mean, probably teens, maybe, maybe a, maybe a young or like a late teen to early teens, somewhere in there. And she was a wheelchair user and she got out of her wheelchair and climbed the steps of the federal building that they were protesting at, you know, and, you know, with crowds around her. So just inspiring and it showed the dedication that these these folks had to this cause and how uh, they were doing everything they could to make an impact. So uh, we appreciate Kitty telling the story and and letting us share it here on Walk and Roll Live. Good news. We were able to get a hold of Lisa Hayes. She's back in Washington, D.C. right now. You might remember Lisa. She is the executive director of Rolling Start. You may remember we talked to her a few weeks ago here on Walk and Roll Live. She is in Washington, D.C., and it's a big week. You're going to be there all week, right? I am. Yeah. So tell us, because um, I, I know there's a, a number of different things you're doing. So give us an idea of what you're, you're doing there all week. So this, um, I am here at the National Council on Independent Living, also known as the Nickel Conference. This is a huge conference of people with disabilities, and it always falls around 
the anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is July 26th. Okay. So that is that is why I'm here. Um, we're going to just to kind of uh, there's a lot going on, a lot of different sessions, learning about different legislation. But the one uh, kind of highlight of the Nickel Conference is the march to the Capitol and then schedule meetings with our different legislators. And what's really cool about this year, Doug, is that there are over 500 people here in Washington, D.C. We have been told this is going to be the one of the largest uh, uh, group of people on the national lawn that they have since before the pandemic with wow. 500 people here. So it's going to be, and 500 people with different disabilities and our mm -hmm. allies. So it'll be really kind of a cool thing. So is this something they do every year? They do it every year. We haven't done it in a couple of years because of the pandemic. Uh, we actually did it last year, but we did not do a march to the Capitol. Yeah. Uh, so this is the first time it's been done in three years. So it'll be fun. Now, and this is this to, because we've been talking today on the show about Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, which was uh, enacted in 1973. Yeah. And then the section of the Rehabilitation Act uh, wasn't being signed. And they were trying to make changes to it from, you know, what research that I, I've been doing. And, you know, as politicians will do, they're probably making deals with their constituencies, let's say, and, and kind of weakening and taking the teeth out of, of some of that particular section, but that's what the original po protest was in 1977 when they, they marched on a federal building in San Francisco, right? Exactly. So the actual um, Rehabilitation Act was the, re it was called the Rehab Act of 1973. And yeah. why that's so significant is because you're absolutely right. This is the 50th anniversary of the Rehab Act. But there was a the piece of the Rehab Act, which was Section 504, which is something that uh, you're referring to, where it would insist that federal buildings had to have access to their, you know, we, we people with disabilities had to have access mm -hmm. to them. If you, um, I don't know, there's been a lot of, uh, You've seen some videos where a lot of people were crawling upstairs yes. uh, to the White House. There was a time when the White House was not accessible to people with disabilities, especially people that used wheelchairs. And they call that famous incident the crawl, believe it or not, because that is what we did, uh, crawl up those White House steps. But also what um, is pretty significant is the 28th day sit-in that happened in San Francisco um, because they we couldn't get the Section 504 signed, um, and it was pretty significant. It was the longest sit-in by any group, and especially the longest with people with disabilities. That march was, uh, that uh, whole sit-in was led by Judy Human, who unfortunately has passed this year, mm -hmm. one of the great advocates in the disability community. If any of your listeners haven't heard about Judy, you've got to read up on her. She was an incredible woman, incredible advocate, um, and an incredible supporter of Nichols. So she actually was one of the founding individuals of the National Council on Independent Living, So, which is kind of groovy. Yeah. We were talking about this earlier and talking about how challenging a 25-day sit-in would be for able-bodied people. But, you know, those 25 people had various, um, you know, disabilities, obviously, but along with those came you know, their needs for medications and, and, you know, yeah. maybe some other equipment. So it was, it was a real challenge uh, for them and really um, would it impact their health, that kind of thing. So uh, we definitely owe it to them. So you're going to be a part of that, that March then I would imagine. Well, I wasn't a part, I wasn't back a part then, of right, that, but, the, but this week, part. I was just, a, <laughs> yeah, I was just a baby when that I was, was going gonna on, say. it or not, but <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so the, you know, we are, ha have and are talking about the 50th anniversary of the uh, passing of the Rehab Act. It actually has to go through reauthorization. So this is really timely conversation. Um, so we are uh, working to get the Rehab Act reauthorized. 
We're also celebrating the 33rd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm -hmm. Um, But even more so, even uh, some new new legislation that we're trying to get passed, which is all about home and community based services. So, you know, we've we've done such great work about trying to get people access, physical access, uh, communication access. But one of the things that kind of got left out, and um, I don't know if any of your listeners have heard of the Olmstead decision. This was something that happened in 1999. This was a Supreme Court decision that, that basically said people with disabilities have the right to live anywhere they choose, and especially in the least restricted environment. It was a great, great um, passage that the um, Supreme Court did, but there was not a lot of teeth in it and there was no way to enforce it. So uh, we have some legislation out there right now. It's called the HCBS Access Act. Um, It was uh, authored by Senator Casey of Pennsylvania. This is a great piece of legislation because what it does is it finally ends the institutional bias. And what that means is that People with disabilities um, don't have to go into a nursing home to receive rehabilitative care. Right now, that's the only place they can get it, not necessarily in their own home unless it's approved by a, a number of different approvals, if there's a waiver. A lot, of, a lot of challenges around trying to get home and community-based services in our own homes. <laughs> this is going to put HCBS on an equal level as 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 nursing facility care. Um, So basically, if you're in a hospital and you're being told you have to have rehab, you have to be offered home and community-based services in your own home before, as well as as a choice, just as much as a nursing facility would be a choice. So that's kind of pretty transformational. And it's also really a lot of work around um, ensuring that caregivers that do a lot of work to help and support people with disabilities ensuring that they are paid uh, a, a livable wage, making sure that they have, you know, health care, making sure that, you know, that, you know, that they want to do this job. Um, and because ultimately it supports people with disabilities um, and keeps us out of more restricted, costly uh, places of care, like nursing homes or other faci- rehab facilities. So it's really kind of cool that we're seeing new and transformational um, legislation still being worked on. And that's why we're here at Nickel. We're going to be um, supporting and get, we're you know, fighting, continuing to fight for the reauthorization of the Rehab Act, uh, for the Home and Community-Based Services Act. And we're also uh, going to be talking about funding for the independent living centers. Um, we have a big push. It's called Five for Five, which means five core services, which is what all the independent living centers provide at $500 million. And just to give you kind of like to understand where we are currently, the Centers for Independent Living are only funded at $128 million. And that's 406 Centers for Independent Living with and with their satellite offices over 700 in the United States. Nationwide. Wow. Nationwide. We are significantly underfunded and, and our push for five for five is going to push for $500 million so that Centers for Independent Living can continue to provide the great services that we provide, supporting people with disabilities to live independently in their own communities, in the life that they choose, um, and, you know, making sure that our staff wages are, are livable wages. It's really an exciting time to be, you know, an advocate is for people with disabilities. So that's kind of what we're here to be fighting for. So speaking of advocacy, what can our listeners do to help in this fight? Can they contact their local congressman or? Absolutely. Yeah. What I would uh, even recommend is to get more information, look on the Nickel website, which is www.ncil.org, National Council on Independent Living. Um, you want to look at Nickel Priorities. And so that you can, you'll, you'll see the five for five campaign. You'll read about the home and community-based services act. Um, And then the other priority is actually a legislation around emergency preparedness. It's called ready. So these are the three pieces of legislation that we're all focusing on. And these are three great pieces of legislation for your listeners to learn more about and talk to their representatives 
about. Um, you know, our representative in the Inland Empire is mm-hmm. uh, Representative Aguilar, and I do actually have an appointment with him on Wednesday afternoon. Um, and anybody that's listening to this podcast, find out who your representatives are, your senators are, and, you know, talk about, you know, uh, increasing funding for people with disabilities um, through home and community-based services, um, through, you know, funding for emergency preparedness, and just making sure that the Centers for Independent Living can um, uh, provide services to the people that desperately need it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, I know, uh, you know, you're, you're just getting done with uh, day one and uh, you're exhausted. And I know you've got a long week ahead of you. So I really appreciate you taking out some time and talking with us and bringing us up to date on what's happening there in Washington. My pleasure. It's uh, I'm so excited. I hope you guys, um, you know, your your listeners need to take a look at that because, you know, it's going to be really cool and exciting. I'm going to be, um, I'll uh, film a couple of film clips of the march and the rally on Wednesday, and I'll post it to Rolling Start's website. And, okay. I'll, you know, anybody, if you have a way, your listeners have a way to look at stuff, yeah. you'll get to see what the incredible, incredible um, movement that this is. That right. it really is an opportunity for people with disabilities to see that they are part of a huge community. So yeah, be looking for those at rollingstart.com. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk more Absolutely. about it here too. That's it for now. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our close. We'll be right back folks. Up to us kids presents what to expect when you're expecting a teenager learning the lingo. Jelly jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous as in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Walk and roll live, and uh, we're kind of starting to wrap up uh, things here on this episode. And Eric, I know uh, we've been talking about your disaster preparedness trainings uh, happening through Loma Linda uh, Health, and they were put on hold. Do you know any more than well, what I was told? They were held, they were put on hold due to technical difficulties because the last two times I tried to conduct the lecture on the Zoom, the organization that I was teaching for kept having technical difficulties. But something that I was that I want to propose uh, for Walk and Roll Live is that maybe we could do maybe a, I could do a maybe a twenty or thirty minute segment on the uh, same lectures themselves for the uh, Walk and Roll show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just have to. I mean, if if, if Loma Linda had trouble with the technical part of it, I don't know if I have the expertise to do it, but definitely we'll look into it. Maybe we could even do a, a special, maybe uh, do a special uh, feature where that's kind of a standalone thing on its own, right? And uh, we'll see what kind of entry there or, or uh, interest there is and get people to sign up. And then we'll create a Zoom meeting where they come for that. All right. All let's, right. Yeah, let's explore that. Definitely. All right. So other than that, if you're looking for resources uh, pertaining to your disability, we have a resource page on our website, walkandrolllive.com. And if you want to add anything to it, wherever you are in the country, we'll definitely highlight that. Um, and just send us an email at warlive at walkandrolllive.com. All right. And I just did add a few events. I know that uh, Possibilities and Rolling Start, which are both organizations that we're involved in here locally uh, in Southern California, they have a bunch of recurring events and services and programs that they do. So I put as much of those up as uh, um, that, uh, that pertain to this. Uh, and, and if, uh, if you want any more information or you'd like to put some information up there, like I said, just uh, email us and we'll highlight your event too. I think captain Mike's information is up there a few episodes back. He's the gentleman that takes people out fishing around here, around Southern California. And I think that's it. I think that's all that's up there, but like I say, Happy to put your stuff up there. All right, my brother. Anything else you want to say before we set them free? You know, you know the, only, the only thing I'm really focused on right now is uh, what I'm going to have for lunch 
because after doing a workout, I am hungry. He is very disciplined, Mr. Aguilar is. He does his workout every morning, right? Seven days a week? I try to do at least uh, two days and then chill out for two days and then start all over again. Gotcha. So is it more for aerobics, strength? What What are your goals? It's a mix of uh, leg work, uh, abdominal work, arms, and uh, basically upper body strength with exercise bike that's portable. It's multifunctional. Like uh, my machine has the um, feature where I can put it on top of my desk, and instead of pedaling with my feet, I can pedal with my arms for an extra challenge. And I also have these elastic uh, workout bands that actually hook onto the machine if I want to do like my arms or rowing. And then I have some other toys that, it's a push-up board. It looks like a, a toy, as my mother-in-law calls it. You can actually move it to uh, different sides of uh, the board to do any workout you like. And then when you're done, you can actually fold it up like a book, and the handles could actually go inside the board if not in use. I also have other uh, things like uh, a workout mask that increases my lung capacity, my stamina, and physical performance. And I can also increase the elevation of the mess, but I never use it for competition per se. It's merely a training tool, just like my uh, weight vest, and it's all adjustable. Very nice, very nice. So there definitely has to be a, a cardio benefit from it, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, good for the old ticker. All right, well, uh, why don't you wrap it up and uh, and put this episode to bed, and we'll see you next week on Walk and Roll Live. I'm Eric Kigla with my partner, Doug. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. See you later, folks. Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at walkandrolllive.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at facebook.com slash walkandrolllive. You can email us at warlive at walkandrolllive.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening.